Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding out what crazy things can happen when you least expect it. This week, we're doing Winging It. What do you do when things go crazy and things that you ex- weren't expecting to happen happen? And your adventure was not designed for this. And I don't know, Captain, if she can take any more. Peter? What I would think is, is a good way to, to handle that so that you make them feel like you planned for it. So to avoid that, if you caught me with my pants down kind of thing, you actually make them feel stupid for not doing it sooner. You're like, God, finally, you guys. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So John or Bruce, you guys got any of those? Or? Well, actually, I have one from this, this last weekend. And for those of you listening, last weekend was the weekend for GameStorm 2012 in Vancouver, Washington. So you can look it up yourself. Anyway, uh, I was actually running in one of our old published adventures, RSVP Barrington. I changed it up for Savage Worlds. And uh, the plot for uh, the Barrington is that a team of parapsychologists go to uh, the Barrington to look for ghosts, and they find them. Trouble is, the ghosts throw them out of the hotel, and this gets reported to the news, uh, and the bureau hears about it, and it says, "Ah, there are ghosts. There's probably ghosts in that hotel. We'll send a team there to find to find out what they are, what they're doing there." But at the same time, the hotel decides to capitalize on this publicity and hold a parapsychological. Uh, conference all these uh, super all these uh, you know mediums and crystal believers and all the all the weirdos you know, who actually some are actually true uh show up for this uh, this par- this parapsychology uh conference so that, you know it's supposed to be you know oh here's a team they're at a, they're at a co- they're at a convention so to speak trying to find the ghost well the players show up First thing they do was they find out one if they use the Carillion detectors that it, they they peg out in the hotel. This is like right in the right in the description. You try to use the the Carillion detect- detectors, they peg out, they max out. The entire hotel is like um, vibrating. You just you just can't get a reading. And then they and they're wondering. Then they ask the question, okay, what's causing this, and why are the ghosts stuck in the hotel? And they ignored the conference, which was the entire purpose of uh, this. It was, you know, the entire thrust of the game was you go to the conference and have these different encounters while at the same time trying to, you know, figure out the ghost. No, they said, screw that. We're going to figure out what's happening to the ghost. The conference can go hang. Even even when I made sure that at least two of the characters, because of the cover stories, uh, this is Team Fremont, if you've been with the D20 book, uh, two of the characters were invited down to talk about, you know, uh, supernatural and journalism on a panel. I figured that'd be a good enough hook, and I actually had a map of the, of the, um, 
of the co- of the uh, convention floor space. But no, that we, we I ended up having to wing an entire scenario, which I'm not going to actually tell you what it is. I'm running this at Dragonflight and at Gen Con, so you have to find out what happens there. But uh, the, I had to come up the reason why the hotel has the ghost stuck in, in, in it, and and what the characters had to do to get the ghost free of the hotel, and. That actually was a very good game, but, but I pretty much had to make up everything. I I I, I made up everything at that <laughs> point. All, all cloth. Did you, you know. did you write that stuff down so that you can use it in case it comes up at Dragon Con or Dragonflight? I mean, sorry, Gen Con or Dragonflight. Uh, it's in my head. Uh, I'll get uh, still in my head. I still I'm still mulling it through how to write it down so I, you know, I won't forget. But uh, no, it, it actually, it was fairly straightforward. It was actually a fairly straightforward uh, concept, and it's like okay. One thing I did do, and I'll mention that now, is that I added more than three ghosts. Oh. Uh, I added a lot more ghosts in that hotel. Uh, I said it needs more ghosts. I mean, if it, so if we it's, had the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas almost future, Christmas two minutes ago. Yes, and the, and the bar is full of spirits. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Christmas of Hanukkah past. Hey, what am I doing uh. here? Yeah. <laughs> Who are these ghosts? The ghost of Kwanzaa, the ghost of Easter, the ghost of Samhain. You know, all those holiday ghosts. I'm the ghost of good intentions. Where's the ghost of common sense? Sense is never common. It's it's always more expensive than that, too. Yeah. But, you know, there I... uh, when I did this, I had I've run these games enough times. I'm familiar with the characters because I've I've pretty much helped create them, so I knew how to play to their strengths. So I made sure everyone at the table got you know what I make sure I followed Bruce's rule. Everyone at the table got spotlight time at, at some point in the, in the adventure. Even though I had to definitely wing it, I had to make sure I wing it so that each character had something to do. Their strengths could be used to to help further the plot. Yeah, and that was and that was a bit tricky trying to keep it, keep track of who who had spotlight and who didn't. That's going to be a tricky thing anytime you're doing any of these improvised events. Is that making sure that everybody is entertained? You know. Yeah. If somebody's playing the doctor of the group, um, you got to keep that in mind. You know, even even though you're winging it, you have to keep that in mind. Maybe one of the things you want to do. When when you're gonna wing this, or or you get in a situation where you have to wing it, you know, because they they go off, they go off script, um, or or they do something that's you know completely out of out of left left field. Uh, maybe what you want to do is if you're not totally familiar with the characters, which you probably should be, but maybe you're not. You know, maybe it's a newer campaign. Collect everybody's characters up, look over their skills real quick, look over what they're good at, and just jot down on a piece of notepaper things you need to happen. So, for example, let's say you've got uh, someone's playing a medic or a doctor or whatever. So you want to put down on your list, you know, doctor or you know, medical incident, just to make sure that at some point during the game, you're going to look at your list and go, okay, I need to make something for this guy to do. You know, if somebody's playing a thief and you're winging this adventure out of, you know, completely out of whole cloth, you need something for them to break into or to find some stolen goods or something if you've got some character that's good at that. Otherwise, you're winging it, it's going to fail because it's so easy to wing combat. It's so easy to wing just talking. 
but it's not easy to make sure that you include certain elements into it. So, you, so you're probably going to want to do that. You're probably going to want to make sure that you you have a list of things you you want to make sure you hit that evening, and just yeah. you know wing it into that situation. I, it's just as simple as for the doctor. You, you know, you're playing Bureau Thirteen. You go into a haunted house. You want the doctor to have a a point. You take whatever character has been having a lot of limelight, you know, whoever, most likely the combatant, because that's easy to do. But someone who's been playing and they've been having a lot of the spotlight time, you know, they fall down the stairs or they fall down an elevator shaft or whatever. I'm not saying to take them out, but I'm saying that at that point, their role is going to become lesser because they're going to be injured. And that's where you bring the doctor character in to help them and you allow some of the other characters to excel and take the limelight because this main character can't anymore. Uh, and I'm not saying unfairly take someone out. Just injure him. Give him some minuses or something. You know, sprain his arm. His left arm. You know what I mean? So so that that way the other characters have a chance to shine. Yeah. I, actually, I, when I created these characters, I made sure they, they did not have overlapping abilities. I have Plato Ferris. He's the hacker. I have Father Murphy. He's the cleric with all the healing spells and the and the bless. I have two psychics who basically complement each other, and they can tag team. I have uh, uh, D. Uh, Stefano uh, Renault, who is a uh, magic user who has different kinds of spells. That means I have basically four magic users on a, a six-person team. What I did was I gave Plato and uh, Steph Green, the uh, the team leader, supernatural sensitivity they're the ones that get the hairs in the back of their head going "Uh oh something's happening and they get to react first before anyone else does so i I, when i put these these are convention characters uh but you know when i put them together i put them together so i can make sure every one of them can do something in the game and do something at different times so they all have different spotlights and they can always play off of that also because i was using savage worlds savage worlds has this option called adventure cards they are like cards that allows the player to do something unique in the game. So it allows them to ch- make changes how things work. That actually came in handy when it came time to uh, do the big reveal. They had to do it. They needed someone who was good at uh, blowing things up. And uh, having a plus four on top of your normal skill was a great ad. <laughs> we haven't heard a lot from our distaff side. Distaff side? Amber. Amber. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. We haven't heard a lot from Amber. And Amber, I know you don't uh, – my understanding is that you don't Game Master very often. You've played in several events. I mean, uh, so let's talk at it from, from the gamer side. You, I'm sure you've been in adventures where you can tell that the Game Master is winging it or you found out later that they were winging it. Talk about it from, from that aspect. I have DM'd a few times. Okay. And in one particular incident, it was such a – a dramatic failure right from the get-go. <laughs> like, two minutes into the game, we just started, we just sit down, and the jury decides to kill the most important NPC in the game. <laughs> he just didn't know it. So at that point, I was like, oh boy. I ended up making it work with uh, the the king who was hiding and pretending to be a poor beggar to kind of guide them and nudge them in the right direction. Since the druid went and killed them, that kind of gave me room for the chancellor to try and step up and take the throne for himself, which he was going to do later. But it still completely threw me off because nothing that I wanted went in the order that I wanted it to go into. 
as far as being a, a gamer and witnessing it, um, there was one incident where the GM threw us all into something Futurama-like. We come out of cryogenic thousand-some-odd years into the future, and then one of the characters decides that they wanted to settle down. They were the only class in the game that was capable of wielding an item that we needed later on. When you have like a warrior who decides to settle down and revoke his life of fighting, and he's the only one with the strength to carry or wield this super awesome weapon that can end the game, the, D- the DM was just scrambling to try and figure out what he could do so the game wouldn't be in a never-ending cycle, because that's pretty much what it was. That's funny. We had seven consecutive uh, sessions of just sitting around trying to figure out what to do next because we could not pick this one item up since we did not possess the soul of a warrior. So, Bruce, what would you do in that case? How would you try to convince this guy to uh, get back in the game? Not knowing all the different parameters available in the game, to me, it's not a good idea to have an object in the game that nobody but one person can touch. Okay, I would immediately say, well, then, if it was a, if it was a science fiction game, it'd be like, there's got to be some power armor here someplace that I can get, get into and pick up that stupid sword. Well, the thing about it is, is he was kind of counting on one of the other players to also be a warrior. Uh-huh. That, but uh, Joe was like, no, no, I, I don't feel like playing my warrior this time. I want to try out my cleric. So he was counting on having at least a backup in case something happened to one of them. In the case of where you ab- you've actually created a situation where one character is absolutely necessary and you can't go forward without that character. Well... You can come clean with that player and say, look, I absolutely have to have your character back in the game. And that's when you sit down and you start dealing. You say, okay, what's it going to take <laughs> so you get back in the game? And that can be a wonderful thing for a player because then you can get whatever it is you've ever wanted uh, in that game. The GM's going to bend over backwards to make sure you get it. Those moments are golden. If it's totally counterproductive, to what the player wants, well, okay, then that's when you have to do something else. Like they travel backwards in time and they grab an earlier version of the character or they go forward in time after he's settled down and had himself a brood of kids and is sick to death of all that incessant whining either from the townspeople, the village he now rules, his, his children who are after their inheritance, his wife who doesn't think he's the, ma- he's the man she married, and he's ready to jump back into the game and get going again. I mean, you can work with these concepts. You know, Even if the player says, I want to do this, says, okay, we'll come back and do that later, but we're going to take you from, you know, we're going to somehow you know, portal you from one part or the other part of your life so you can finish this quest for us and then get everyone else to come on board to go and, and make that guy spotlight time special later. I mean, you could even introduce another magic item that they find. Um, for example, let's say the reason why he needs to be the character to do this is because he's the only one strong enough to wield it. So one of the other characters finds a girdle of storm giant strength or whatever. That's why I suggested the power armor. 
Yeah, but she said that you had to have a soul of a warrior. So therefore, uh, that's where you portal in somebody, an earlier version or a later version of the same character or a later version of one of the other characters who has gone through some massive life-changing event that's transformed them into a totally different character, which then means that that player knows that there's going to be so a lot of spotlight time coming up in the campaign as he has to transform into that character so he can be sent back in time to create the, the situation that the whole campaign has been hinging on up till now. Wow, I'm a gamer and I have a headache from that. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you could, you could even do it simpler. You could say that, let's say, the spirit of a warrior, okay? Well, it turns out that your cleric has that spirit of a warrior. He or she has been doing their thing as a cleric and has been doing it well, but you know, in the face of danger, in the face of adversaries, has never buckled, has, has always been you know, on the front line doing their clerical duties and turns out, hey, you know what? It turns out that this person actually has a spirit of a warrior as well. Resolute. Resolute, right. Yeah. So that this character actually fits that bill as well. Um, kind of like uh, I think there might have been a Marvel – I'm trying to remember if there was a Marvel comic. I think you know you have the whole Thor's hammer thing where only certain people can pick it up because they have to have certain attributes or whatever. If I remember correctly, I think there was an episode where Captain America actually picked up the hammer. Because he is, you know, valiant and virtuous and blah, 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 and all those things that, you know, equate a hero. And if it's not him, it was somebody else who's sort of the same way. I mean, I know that um, Beta Ray Bill was using the hammer for a while. And, yeah. you know, this is an alien from another, you know, just, well, let's say another world that, uh, duh, alien. But, you know, this is an alien that was was wielding Majolner. So it doesn't have to be the Thor. It can be the Beta Ray Bill. You can come from another angle and just say, well, you know, it was intended for you, but it turns out that this other person fits the bill. So I'm going to retcon this and actually make it that it wasn't you. It was this other character, and they just had to rise to the occasion. And that was the destiny. It wasn't your destiny. It was actually their destiny. Well, the wording is very, very simple. The soul of a warrior. Hey, you know, you, you don't have to be of the warrior class exactly. to wield, wield that, that item. You just have the soul of a warrior. And if, if you're back against the wall and you, can, and you can dredge it up, you might be able to pick that sucker up and use it. I completely agree. But the DM for that game was very adamant that the soul of fill in the blank was the class that you played. So a warrior had the soul of a warrior. Cleric right. had the soul of a cleric. Blah, right. blah, blah. That defined right. what your class was. So you go with my two ideas. Right. Yeah. Actually, what ended up happening is the uh, the rogue ended up stabbing the chancellor in the back. It's <laughs> awesome. Nuke him from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. <laughs> Well, that's that's the kind of yeah. stuff we're talking about here with with this with this particular podcast is that you have to think on your feet. So, if you're a game master who, you know, is that stringent as as you were speaking of, Amber, that's not going to help you with what we're talking about. What's going to help you that we're talking about is being flexible and being able to, you know, adjust on the fly. Okay, this guy doesn't want to play the character anymore. I'm not going to force him to play it, and I'm also not going to allow that to derail my adventure. I am going to adjust. I am going to uh, overcome. And and what I'm going to say is is that, okay, your character retired and he's doing his thing, whatever. That's great. Uh, one of the other characters is going to take that role. And you don't have to tell them anything. You can make it seamless as if you had planned that, that all along. 
I mean, we've talked talked about this before, where you know, as Bruce said, you a good GM does not hinge everything on a single die roll or on a single person having a, a certain skill. If you do that, you, your adventure's going your adventure's going to fail. Something will happen that will the person rolls instead of rolling a twenty, he rolls a one and fails. There goes your adventure. You have to have more than one way to skin the, skin that cat. Hey, let, let's take, let's take us to another level. I mean, if you're doing that as a game master, then what you're saying is is that you're not willing to kill any of the characters along the way because you've already predetermined that certain things have to happen at the end of the adventure. So you've created a situation where that character has to live. So you're going to do as a game master, you're going to do whatever it is to keep that character alive. And that's just that's disingenuous. That ends up being railroading. You just took a javelin to the chest, but an angel decided that it really likes you. Right. You you are taking away from the game. Oh Maybe. look, I rolled minimum damage for that for that critical hit to your chest. It's the same problem that they have in all television shows. Uh, is that the standard main characters, nothing can happen to them, and they have to be reset by the end of each adventure. So no matter how dramatic things are looking in the first quarter of the hour, it's all going to turn back to normal by the end, and the puzzle box is trying to figure out how to get them there. Which is why I like modern TV. you got your HBO shows and AMC with The Walking Dead, and you don't know who's going to live and who's going to die, and no one you may have one character who's pivotal. So, for example, in The Walking Dead, you have Rick Grimes. And, and the, the producers have already said, you know, he's the star of the show. He is going to survive. You, that's like the one character you know who's going to survive everything. You don't know how well he's going to survive. You don't know how he's going to turn out at the end of all this. Oh, yeah, yes, you do. <laughs> well, well, no, because they, they deviate from the comic heavily. The whole series is about his devolution. Okay, yeah, so, all right, so you have an idea where he's going. But he's the only guy who's safe. They can kill anyone else, even his wife. Yes. And that's what I like about sort of like this modern media. And you know what else? They could always yell at Carl to get in the house, and Carl would <laughs> never be in the house. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, but, but this, I mean, just not, not just that, but like Game of Thrones is sort of written that way. You just never know what's going to happen to any given character. Of course, if you've read the series, you know what happens to the characters. But but the point is, is when you were reading the series, you didn't know that you know he was going to kill off a bunch of the main characters early on because they weren't really the main characters. He just led you to believe that they were. That's what I like about these stories, and that's what gives them uh, a feeling of reality and gives them gives you the buy-in and the care because. Now you start to care about every character, and the same thing should be for your characters. You feel the same way, that you should have to buy into these characters because you know that at any point in time, any one of these characters could die. If you know they're going to survive, you don't care as much. That's not necessarily true. There's a lot of gaming groups where character death is off the table from the get-go. The thing is, when you're running these sort of games, you also got things like you decide Joe's character is going to be the, the savior. Only Joe gets a job in Tulsa and moves and doesn't like playing over Skype. So you lost his character at that point. What you going to do? I mean, this is sort of like uh, what happened in Babylon 5 when they actually had to change the main character because the original character said, I don't like this. I'm leaving and left the show. You know, that happens. Or do you, uh, do you, do you get the other Darren to show up and play, play the character? Or do you, you know, work, or work around it? You know, and for those of you not familiar, Dick uh, Dick York, 
was played Darren in the original Bewitched until he until a back injury injury took him out. Then Dick Sargent came in and took over the role. He, he was okay as the other Darren. Well, it's like on Fresh yeah. Prince of Bel Air when uh, yeah. and and Vivian after the baby was born, a new actress. T- took over the role of Aunt Vivian. And it was funny because Will Smith, they wrote it in where Will Smith, wow, Aunt Viv, you had a baby and you were like a whole new woman. Kicked they through did. that fourth wall, yeah. <laughs> and they did in The Matrix. Yeah. Oh, with, um, yeah, the Oracle because the actress... Died. Yeah, and it's funny because the woman that took over in real life, they were friends and they had done a play together so they knew each other and there was that... Yeah, you know, I mean, not everybody knew it, but you know, they knew each other, so it was kind of like she handed the role over to her friend to continue, and it just all clicked naturally. Yeah, um, I have to do that in my own campaign. My co-host Sven of Lemmings, he made a healer, didn't like it. He's a combat monster. Decided to play a healer, quit, and I had to take over the NPC because we needed a healer. So I've been playing this character ever since. So yeah, I know all about having to different player for the same character. Yeah, be the other Darren, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> when when things go awry, sometimes it happens, like you said, the bad die roll. Also, like like just like Chad pointed out, everyone died except for one per- one person. Do you re-roll the characters? Do you, you say, okay... No, uh, no, I, oh, no, my character died, too. I was the last did? man standing, but... Ah. <laughs> I'm Great misconstrued. Me out. <laughs> I misconstrued it because that happened to me as well. I was in a campaign where a random encounter took out the entire team, <laughs> which is oh. even worse. And that one didn't survive either. And we didn't continue at that point. But the GM had tried. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what he had done because he really liked his random tables. Now, mind you, mind you, in Savage yeah. Worlds, this is going to be less. Yeah. This is going to happen less because Savage Worlds is set up in that. If you're playing a hero, about the only thing that can take you out is a villain. You know, you're not going to be taken out by the random encounter. You're not going to be taken out by the by the henchman. While it's possible, it's really geared and rigged to not happen that way. So, so that's not the biggest concern with Savage World. But so we we should wrap this up. Um, you know, I'm thinking, do we want to have any final thoughts on on winging it? You know, I don't I don't know who wants to go first, but um, well, I, I see it like this. As a game master, I've been game mastering for 20 out of the 30-plus years I've been role-playing. As a game master, you have to learn to think on your feet because there is the old saying in the military, no plan survives contact with human beings, where you can plan all this stuff and, and borrow from all these sources and come up with this wonderful game, and you're still dealing with anywhere from one to six other minds at the table who are going to think differently than you. So a GM has to be able to learn to instantly come up with something to keep the adventure going. We've already related experiences where the GM was not quite up to snuff or they didn't plan for the contingency entirely. And, you know, as Bill Paxton said in Aliens, game over. You need to be able to be fluid enough where you're not going to railroad your players or at least give them enough of an adventure to go on to where you can get back to where the adventure is planned. I mean, it's not railroading, but you still give them a a satisfactory 
adventure for them to possibly work with later, which I had mentioned earlier about, oh, this one shot that you pulled out of thin air, and now you have these new NPCs that are your buddies and everything. So as far as winging it, just be ready, because it will happen at any time. It is, I guess you could call it an occupational hazard being a game master. Yeah, where you have to wing it. <laughs> that that Mr. Anderson is the sound of inevitability. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so John, you got any uh, final words on um, on on winging it? Well, uh, winging it and also improvising. I mean, we got to cover that too. Improvising. It. How's that different from winging it, John? I don't know. Let me make something up. Okay. Case uh, <laughs> <laughs> in point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, be creative. Don't be flexible. You know, um, view all those things you figure as stops or as obstacles, as nothing more than challenges to uh, move the story along. There are no dead ends. They're just creative ways of getting out of that situation. You know, yes, the the one player who who needs to wield the magic, what's it from from who's it, is dead. Suck it up. Figure some way around it. They may have to go convince an NPC to use it then, at that point, you know, or or maybe they have to deep, reach deep inside and find that that kernel that they need to, to do it, or just make something up, you know, just be, but at least be plausible in your making up for situations like that. What do you say, Bruce? What you got? These situations are going to happen. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to have to wing it. The best way to be sure you're going to be successful is to be prepared for it. You can do that by using a lot of the techniques that we've already mentioned, You know, having resources available to you so you can make it possible. Saying being flexible to me never really you know, helps. That's kind of like saying t- telling somebody to be creative. <laughs> and if they don't have it in them, they're not going to do it. If you're pr- prepared with options, and especially if you have experience, you're going to be able to rise to the occasion. And the best thing that the players can do to make sure that their GM is going to be able to wing it is to have faith in their GM and to encourage their GM and not point out that he's not wearing any clothes when he's bringing out his new emperor's robe. Amber? Well, the only thing that I really have to say... It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. <laughs> which, which is my gaming motto. And, and I do hold to it. That you can improvise, you can improvise, you can depend on the dice, you can do whatever you want. But it's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And, or a 20. Or a 20. Right. Rolling a one is way better. Also, I'm going to... Uh, mimic you here the best way to improvise is to be prepared yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's what i said yeah. good job you get a cookie for that one um <laughs> pretty much all i can really think to say is that uh, anything can happen and you not only need the flexibility to adapt or the flexibility to think about it, but the flexibility to add to it as well. That just because the DM has to pull something out of his backside and think of something on the fly doesn't mean that you, as a player, can't do something to further enhance it. 
the DM may come up with something, but it's ultimately up to the players to help make it work. So just because you don't really understand or like an idea doesn't mean you can't twist it into your own favor. Right, because the, the game is organic. We've said that, I don't know how many episodes we've said this on, that we're all playing the game, we're all at the table together, and everybody has fair input. It's cooperative storytelling, yes. Right. Don't be afraid to mine the players for ideas, and don't be afraid to give the game master ideas to go with. As he said in the movie, Field of Dreams, rules? There are no rules. Don't be afraid to go with a media trope that you've already seen or heard or that is completely familiar to everybody because, you know, there are some things that are just chest, you know, you know, or, or with evergreens that you can go with at all times. Uh, and it doesn't diminish the story as long as you put a new twist on it. So um, don't be afraid to go with something you already know that everybody's always comfortable with. Additionally, never let them see you sweat, as they say. Always pretend like you had everything planned. And even when they totally mess up your plans, pretend like that was the plan. You know, if, if they kill your villain way ahead of time, you go, oh, yes, he's dead. And then and pretend that it's all great and just bring in another villain if, if that's the case, if, if your night's only halfway finished. You know, make him the shill, you know, that he was, you know, he was only part of the plan. Uh, kind of thing. You know, this reminds me of something. One day, one of your characters is going to pull a Dorothy and drop a house on your witch. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. And and let her do it, and then just create another witch. Um, as, as, as a matter of fact, one of the things that I've been famous for as a game master, at least amongst my group, not famous in any general sense, but just, you know, amongst my group, is that I always work with stress level. So if they are winning too easy, I introduce more villains. If they are having too hard of a time, I reduce the number of villains. The numbers are not important to me of how many things they have to fight or win against. It's the stress level I'm going for. So if I'm not seeing them sweat to the proper level, I will adjust to, to meet that level. So that's you know that's just one of the things you always have to remember when you're when you're game mastering on the fly. Or even if you're game mastering in a planned adventure and you want to make sure that the players are having fun, you should set ahead of time the stress level you want them to be at and then do whatever it takes to achieve that. Yep. You know, raise a difficulty if you have to. You know, don't be tied down to the numbers in a book or something you wrote in your notepad. Uh, if you're finding that they're just rolling through something too easy, you need to raise the difficulty level on something or create more villains or um, make your clue a little more obscure or not give them a clue that you had planned to give them um, if, if they're just rolling through it too easily. And if it's too hard, you need to do just the opposite. If they're having too hard a time with the adventure, give them a stupid easy clue, something that you know is like, hey, dummy, look over here because they may not – it may not seem like that to them because if you know all the answers, you know, every answer is easy to you but can be excessively difficult to them. Oh, yeah. So that's my thoughts on that. Bruce, you want to take us out? Bam! Bam! No. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us for another rousing, unexpected adventure of the TriTag Games podcast. We hope that you'll be able to use these ideas to fall back on whenever you're in a situation where you have to improvise. 
Uh, we hope that uh, we've pointed you at some good resources so that you can prepare yourself for further adventuring of this kind. And we hope that you're in a group where your players are supporting you or you're supporting your GM so that you can all work together to have the most awesome game possible. And we hope you listen have listened to all of our adventures here at the podcast. And if your podcatcher only catches maybe 10 or 15 of our episodes, feel free to go back to our pod site, www.tritagsystems.podbean.com, and listen to all of our previous adventures, uh, our previous podcasts, where we've talked about gods, alien worlds, dinosaurs, ancient religions, you name it. We're, you know, we're out there. Pirates. You need anything from us? We're on Facebook. We have lots of Facebook groups, fans of the TriTech Games podcast, and we'd love to answer one of your questions. Please go to iTunes and give us a rating and leave comments there too. Whatever you do, we're here for you. We hope to help to make you wing it and soar high when you do so. And if all else fails, blow something up. But bearing that, we'll be back. Assuming you don't kill us, we'll be back next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.